Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Ellen Cassidy. Ellen was a 2015-2016 translation fellow at the Yiddish Book Center. Her translation project, a work of fiction by Yenta Mosh, won a Penheim grant in 2016, the first ever awarded to a Yiddish project. In 2012, Ellen and Yirmiyahu Aaron Taub won the Yiddish Book Center's Translation Prize for their translation of a work by Bloom Lempel. Oedipus in Brooklyn and Other Stories, Bloom Lempel Stories in Translation, was published in November 2016. Ellen's translations have appeared in Words Without Borders, Pockentrager, A Pen American Chapbook, The Anthology, Have I Got a Story for You, Fiction from the Forward, edited by Ezra Glinter, and Beautiful as the Moon, Radiant as the Stars, Jewish Women in Yiddish Stories. She is also the author of We Are Here, Memories of the Lithuanian Holocaust, which won several national awards and was shortlisted for the William Saroyan International Prize for Writing. She is a frequent contributor to Adasa, The Forward, Huffington Post, and other publications, and a frequent speaker on issues of Jewish culture, Eastern Europe, Yiddish literature, and cross-cultural relations. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you. Delighted to have you here. And right away, I'm going to jump in to ask you um, how you came to Yiddish and to translation, and then ultimately to the work of Bloom Lempel. Yeah, so many years ago, I started studying Yiddish as a memorial to my mother. My mother was Jewish. She died rather young. My father was not Jewish, and I grew up in a home that really valued Jewish culture, and especially um, Eastern European secular culture. So when my mother died, I started to get the feeling that if I didn't do something about it, I was going to lose touch with my heritage, with the people who had come before, my grandfather who immigrated from Lithuania and so on. So I hit on this idea of studying Yiddish, and I was living in Philadelphia at the time. I went to Gratz College um, in the evenings and started studying with enormous intensity. And my hope was that Yiddish would become kind of a home for me within Jewish culture. And it has really, really done that. It's been exactly what I was hoping for. And early on, I went to my, my Yiddish teacher, Max Rosenfeld, who was actually quite a well-known Yiddish translator, and I told him I wanted to try my hand at translation. And he went to his bookshelf and pulled out a little gray volume that had been personally inscribed to him by the author, Bluma Lempel. And he said, why don't you try this? Well, it took years. And um, eventually, in a, a Yiddish reading group with Yermi Ahu Aaron Taub, uh, I, we, the two of us decided that we would get going on researching the life of Bluma Lempel and beginning to translate her stories. And the result is this volume, Oedipus in Brooklyn, that has just been issued. Do you think it was random that he pulled out that book, or do you think he was knowing in pulling it out? Well, it was work that had been very little translated. This this book that Aaron and I have translated is really the first collection of work by Bluma Lempel in English. There was a story here translated, another story there, but it's uh, she is a really unique voice, and not having her in English was really... Uh, a, a hole and needed to be filled. So I think he might have thought that I, as a 
as a woman um, would be interested in her work, most of her stories are about women from a very wide range of situations. There, there's an African American character. There's uh, there are young women. There are elderly women. There are women in the old world. Women in the new world. Um, so you you get to travel all over the world with Blue Malempel, um, and also her style is extremely modern. She, there's no one like her. So I think he thought I would be very interested in, in her work. It's not, it's not a trip back into the past exactly, although those, she does touch those very um, those scenes and, and the Stettler places very full of feeling, but she doesn't stay there. She, she touches that and then she moves on to the, into more contemporary settings. I, I have to say I was definitely struck by that in terms of both the settings and the people and the topics. When I started reading it, I was surprised. It was not at all what I was anticipating. And then I had to remember that she died only, you know, as recently as 1999. That's right. She was born in uh, 1907 in a place that is now Ukraine. But then she, she made her way to Paris as a young woman, stayed there for 10 years, and was part of this sort of very exciting swirl of Jewish life in the City of Light. Then, right before Hitler came to power, she was very fortunate to be able to leave Europe and come to New York. And I think she was planning to go back to Europe, planning to go back to, to her beloved Paris, but that didn't happen, and so she stayed here. And and I think Yiddish was sort of a portable homeland for her. She carried it with her. It was very, very important for her to continue writing in Yiddish, even though the readership was declining, partly because of Hitler, partly because of assimilation. Um, but she, she always said, Yiddish is in my bones. And she felt that she had to speak for those who could no longer speak in Yiddish feel for those who could no longer feel, immerse myself, she said, in their unlived lives, uh, in their sorrows, their joys, their struggle. And um, so uh, it was wonderful for her to have this portable homeland, and I think it gave her a kind of privacy to write really transgressive and and taboo-defying things about abortion and about incest and erotic imaginings of women of all ages, uh, really, really out-of-the-box kind of stuff, um, without being influenced all that much by other writers in English. She had this, this place she went into where she really spoke from her soul. It, I wondered about that. I mean, there I was reading my friend Ben, and the opening page, there's a reference to Apollo 2, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> right, the moon landing. Yeah, the moon you landing. You yeah, right. in Yiddish. You really don't. And so, and she wrote in Yiddish, as you say, and I imagine her work would have had a different voice if it wasn't in her native tongue. Um, and I wonder how you think that figures in both into the writing, and did she expect to find an audience for the work, or did she just need to write? She had a correspondence with Avram Sutkever, who was the uh, preeminent Yiddish writer of the late 20th century, the, um, the partisan fighter who came out of the city of Vilna, out of the Vilna ghetto, and then moved to Israel and really wrote very high-quality poetry for the rest of his life until he died a few years ago. So um, she, 
we have some of those letters, and um, she says, I write for myself, for the dybbuk within myself, the, the spirit inside me. But she also, we see from her correspondence, cared very deeply about being read. And she was tireless in sending her work all over the world to Yiddish journals and also in seeking to be translated into English and be published in English. And that didn't really happen during her lifetime. But now uh, these wonderful stories that are like these gems of poetic prose and very unusual thinking are now available to readers in English. And I think she would be very, very pleased by that. How challenging was it for you to do a literary translation and, and feel at one with her writing? Well, it was when you do when you translate a writer, you do kind of get very close to her, and that was um, that was quite an intense experience. Um, Yermiau Aaron Taub, my co-translator, comes out of an ultra orthodox uh, background, and he brought to the project his deep knowledge of religious texts and observance and all those words with the Hebrew origins that are so unphonetic that trip me up all the time. And what I brought was um, that when I was growing up, the English language was kind of our religion. And at the dinner table every night, there would be discussions of spelling and usage and what is this word and how would we use that and what's the difference between sardonic and sarcastic and, you know, really all the nooks and crannies of language. And so the the idea of having a text where you have to go in and look word by word and line by line, for me, is like a delicious meal. And um, the harder, the better. And all the, the conversations that he and I had about what's the best way to phrase this and what's she really trying to say here and what are the nuances were just they were heaven for me i just i just adore that kind of work so um you know it's funny you might think that the the vocabulary might be the tough part but it really isn't um her vocabulary is not that unusual for one thing mm-hmm. but what really what's harder is um words where you, a phrase where you know every single word the words are often short and you just can't figure out what it means to put those those little words together what what, what's the little flip or twist that she's trying to get at? But um, in general, not so hard. Um, it's it's not the uh, the words themselves or the syntax that um, are challenging in Blue Millenpel's work. It's it's the ideas. It's her vision, her special way of looking at the world. But that seems to come through very seamlessly. In the translation, I mean, you're not aware that you're reading a work in translation, which I always think is. A wonderful thing, mm-hmm. uh, and you, it just feels comfortable, and you just want to follow the story. Um, what do you think informed her? What do you mean? What I guess um, her writing is. I think it would be safe to say it's sort of it's challenging, it's insightful, it's impressionistic, maybe. I, you know, and it feels as. I mean, she is. She, you acknowledge in your introduction that she's trying to tell stories of others in her life to to keep them present. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the right word. And I wonder how you think these stories are informed by her experiences. 
I see what you mean. Yeah, um, I think in her career, she had a very she had a very disjointed life. So she grew up really. She was born in the early 20th century, but it was really sort of a 19th century experience. She, her father was a butcher. Um, it was a very small town. There were fields of grain, and um, she lived a life in Yiddish and so on. Um, but then things began to change, and her brother became a revolutionary and, and went to Paris, and she ended up following him. And there she experienced a very cosmopolitan life. Um, and then coming to New York, she was she has a story about going to Yosemite Park in California. Um, she has a story that takes place on the um, uh, the uh, concourse in Penn Station in New York. Um, so she she has many different scenes that I think probably swirl through her mind, and her narratives are often quite disjointed themselves. So you you kind of have the experience of a refugee who's not quite comfortable in any one place and this very sort of jagged, fragmented uh, kind of narrative style. So I think she, she tried to get some of that across. And then she was very, very affected by the Holocaust, her family that had been left behind in Ukraine um, died in the Holocaust. And she felt a very strong responsibility to bring to keep that experience in our minds and to convey the reality of it, even though she hadn't lived through it. And she would send out these stories that touched on mostly experiences of hiding rather than roundups or concentration camps. She doesn't write much about that. But, for example, a mother and son take to the forest and they hide in a cave or a young woman hides in an attic being sheltered by a non-Jewish family. What was that like? And she brings that kind of experience very much to life. Editors thought she had lived through the Holocaust. She had not. And um, we think that she, that partly that experience of hiding, being hidden, no one really knowing you that well, was probably something she knew from the inside. And so she's transmuted her own inner, very interior experience to a broader um, universe of, of experience in Europe and, and also in the U.S. She, um, she often writes about people who are kind of on the edge of madness, and I think that her own self, her own consciousness, kind of flirted with the edge there, and, and she knew that kind of sort of tenuous connection to reality and the here and now from inside. Do you think that there's one story for you in the collection that sort of stands out or reveals the writer or just speaks to you in some special way? It's a little hard to say, but I can I can name a couple. Okay. Um, first of all, I wouldn't want to end our interview without talking about the title story, Oedipus in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Quite odd, quite out there. Um, it is actually what you might expect. It's a, a story of a contemporary Jewish woman who becomes involved in a relationship with her son. And you might think, how could she possibly write this in such a way as to make it convincing? But she does. And Oh, it is. You, <laughs> yeah, It's very compelling. And you can go through and see what she does to set it up so that it's it, she takes away this obstacle to 
realism, and then she takes away that one and that one and that one, and it, by the end you feel like, yeah, I could see this happening, and you feel compassion for these two people, even as you see them going toward their doom. It's not that she endorses this idea at all, but um, but you can really feel it from the inside. Um, let's see, another story... Um, I was very drawn to the story, The Death of My Aunt, which is a really haunting portrait of an an old woman, an unmarried aunt, um, and the her niece is told by her niece, who kind of feels a responsibility to her. And in the story, you uh, you go to the nursing home in in Brooklyn, and you also go back to the old country, and these the two kind of vibrate against each other. Um, in a very powerful way, and as the aunt herself becomes, her her own hold on reality loosens, and she becomes, you could say, demented, she's sort of living in the past, and so the reader gets to experience this back and forth between today and yesterday in a very powerful way. Um, would you allow me to read a little passage from one of another one of yes, my favorite stories? Yes, please. There's a story called Waiting for the Ragman, and it takes place in um, a small Eastern European hometown, and um, the girl is uh, preparing for the Sabbath, and here's what she writes. The young Passover son liked to play with the colored glasses that stood on the sideboard in honor of the holiday. The son poured the colors together and transmuted them into shimmering stars that spangled the whitewashed walls, the clay floor, and the table with its satyr plate set in the middle of the snowy cloth. As I lifted my hands in the air, the sunbeams rained down over my head like a golden raisin wine that began to ferment inside me. To this day, speaking as the adult narrator, to this day I capture handfuls of sunbeams and use them to illuminate the shadows. And this story starts out with um, someone who is is really a, an adult woman, troubled, doesn't feel at home anyway, anywhere, and she she goes back in time and brings to life her girlhood, and then brings it forward again, and and tells how that past sustains her today. It's it really is remarkable work um, that. I'm so glad you found your way, too, um, fortuitously when the book was pulled out by the professor. Um, I wonder what's next. Well, um, we are hoping that, that Oedipus in Brooklyn will be read by lots of people, and we're going to be talking about it and presenting it in various places. And um, for myself personally, I'm... I'm now putting the finishing touches on my translated manuscript of stories by this other writer, Yenta Mash, um, who grew up in what is now Moldova, but only, you know, a few hours' drive from where Bluma Lempel grew up. So um, this work that comes out of the Eastern European past, and then Yenta Mash was sent to Siberia by the Soviets. She then came back to the uh, Soviet Union, the Republic of Moldavia, and then ended up in Israel. And she draws on all these different experiences of a very, very tumultuous life, very different kind of writer, but also quite fascinating and telling us 
really new things that, that no other writers have told us. And it's so exciting for me to bring these treasures out of the deep. Um, and I think uh, when anthologies of Yiddish fiction were put together 50 years ago or right after the war, there was a certain kind of audience looking for certain things. And today we have new readers, a new generation of readers looking for a connection to Jewish culture in different ways. And that is so exciting for me to be able to help connect these important voices to today's readers. Well, as somebody who couldn't read it in the original, I thank you, um, because it's work that really needs to be read, wants to be read, deserves to be read, um, all of that. It's just fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us and for finding your way to uh, translation. Thank you so much. And we look forward to speaking with you again after your next work comes out. Thank you. All right, take care. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexa Sewing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.